Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Let me add my welcome to Stu's, especially if you're visiting us this afternoon. It will be lovely to meet you afterwards. And we've been journeying in our Sunday morning series over recent weeks through this portion of John's gospel, John chapters 18 and 19. And as we journey through that this evening, uh, we are, we're going to hear little snapshots of what the Lord Jesus came to do. If you want those snapshots opened out a bit further, do feel able to, to watch back through our website as, and follow through that series. What we're going to do now, and at two other points, as Stu said, is we're going to Just take a moment to look and pause at some snapshots of this earth-shatteringly important day. So John chapter 18, verse 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus didn't die because he couldn't have stopped it. He absolutely could have. Here is one who could have prevented his own death very easily. The Gospels present Jesus as he is, fully human and also fully God. He truly suffered as a man all of the agonies of these final hours. And yet in his divinity, he could could easily have stopped it. In Matthew's account, after Peter uh, goes and and takes matters into his own hands and chops off this ear of the high priest's servant, Jesus says to him, "Do do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. In other words, Jesus could easily have dealt with those arresting him. He could have avoided that, the horrors of of having his hands and his feet nailed to that cross. The horrors of dying that slow and painful death. And yet, he willingly goes to the cross. Why? Well, for you. For me. He endures the most painful of spiritual and physical hours imaginable. And he endures it all for you. He suffers it all for me. Some of you have been going through really, really challenging periods of life. And in hard times, almost all believers in Jesus ask these questions, questions like it at one time or another, Does God still love me? And if he loves me, why is it this hard? 
Now, I can't claim to give an answer to that second question, but to the first question, the Bible gives us a resounding answer. Yes, he still loves you. Yes, he still loves me. Even in the most painful of circumstances. And how can we know that? Well, because the Lord Jesus willingly entered into our pain. He willingly stepped into this broken world. You see, God is not distant. He is not disinterested in his creation. God the Son cares for it so much that that he planned with God the Father to enter into this brokenness. And all of Jesus' life up to this point had led him to this purpose. Jesus said, shall I not drink? The cup the Father has given me. Jesus came down to drink that cup for you and for me. That meant that that he suffered the judgment that we deserve in our place. We'll think more about that later on. But for now, we can just marvel. We can be amazed again that he he would willingly enter into this world that we've messed up. And endure this suffering and death. All for us. Seized from the peaceful garden as he prayed, the saviour yielded to the brutal horde, which Peter would have scattered with his blade, and to which Judas had betrayed the Lord. If we are in any doubts about his love for us today, let's set our minds, our hearts again, On this saviour, this saviour willingly walking towards the cross for you, for me. One word, one of the most important words ever uttered in all of history. One word that changes eternities. One of the most precious of all words for the believer in Jesus. One word, finished. Finished. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's almost the very last thing that Jesus says from the cross. Luke records his very last word. So the penultimate word and a word charged with significance. In English, we have it translated into three words. It is finished. In the Greek, it's just one word. A word in the perfect tense, a word that comes from the word for something being completed or fulfilled or perfected. So the word means something like this. It is finished. 
and always will be finished. Finished. Done. Complete. Now we can't ever fully plumb the depths of this word, but what we can say about it is infinitely precious. So what was finished? At least three things. Jesus had finished his sufferings for us. All the pain he'd endured in being God on earth amidst all the mess and the brokenness of this world, a world that we have broken in our sinfulness. All the suffering he faced in his final hours, all of it finished in these last moments before he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So Jesus' suffering was finished. And it was finished in the sense that that Jesus had fully fulfilled all the Old Testament scriptures pointing to this moment. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And then we're told that after taking the sour wine, Jesus said, it is finished. You know, it's, it's staggering to read things like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus came, hundreds of years before even crucifixion had been invented, speaking so accurately about how the Lord Jesus would suffer and die for us. If you want to renew your confidence that, that you can trust what you read in the pages of the Bible, or if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, but you want to know, can you trust these words? Then I would, I would love to encourage you to read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 alongside the gospel accounts of Jesus' death. And, and we'll see, you'll see all the incredible ways that he finishes, he fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus' sufferings were finished. Jesus had fulfilled the scriptures. And perhaps most importantly, Jesus' mission was finished. His work was complete. His work of showing the world that he had come from the Father. That he was therefore none other than the eternal Son of God in human form. This gospel writer, John, he tells us that he wrote his gospel with all the evidence it contains for Jesus' claims so that we might He says, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me because he wants us to believe and so to have eternal life. And that's all possible because of this word, finished. This word that signals that for everyone who trusts in him, well, he's dealt with our deepest problem. Our deepest problem is our sin. Our refusal to let God be God in our lives. And that refusal is seen in our thoughts, our words, our actions. And treating God like that, the all-perfect all-loving, 
all holy God of the universe. Well, it deserves his righteous judgment. But on the cross, as, as he suffers and dies, Jesus takes that righteous judgment of God on himself in place of every single person all through history, all across the world, even perhaps today for the first time, who puts their trust in him. At the cross, he pays the full price for our sins. And so this word, finished, well, it's the most precious word imaginable. If you have trusted in Jesus already, or if you do that, This word changes your eternal destiny. And then throughout our life, if we have trusted in him, we can rest all our confidence on this word, on this finished work of Jesus. That's why we heard in that poem, he spared not his son. Tis this that silences each rising fear. Tis this that bids the heart thought disappear. He spared not his son. It's finished. And that can silence every rising fear in us. We don't need to fear anything that might condemn us. Not our sin. Not Satan when he whispers accusations in our ears. No, because it's finished. Finished is a word that is meant for all those moments where we feel we've just mucked it up once again. Finished is the word for you at work when you feel like you've just lashed out at a colleague because you're stressed and you realize, again, you've been a terrible witness to them. Finished is a word when we realize how we've treated a loved one. Finished is for the the memory of that past sin, perhaps known, known to no one else, which nags away. Those are the moments that the word finished is for. It's in those kind of moments that we need to know that that Jesus' work for us was not nearly finished. It's not that he almost finished his work, but we need to somehow make up the rest of it by our good deeds. No, it is completely and utterly, forever, unchangeably finished. And so in those moments, we can say to ourselves, finished, it's done. The price has been paid in full for me. Eternal destinies changed. All our guilt dealt with. Our souls deeply assured. And all brought about by one glorious word. Finished. What do you do in the space between tragedy and triumph? What do you do when all your hopes have been dashed? Those are the kind of questions that must have been confronting Jesus' disciples on the evening of his death. 
and the day after. Although we know how the story ends, the disciples didn't in those moments. On that Sabbath, that Friday evening and that Saturday following his death, when all hope seemed to have vanished. The one they had followed for three years. The one they had lived with and travelled with. The one they'd eaten with and been rescued from storms by. The one from whom they'd learned to pray. The one who'd done extraordinary miracles in their presence. The one they'd come to see as God's Messiah, God's chosen King. But now he was dead. There was such a a terrible finality to it. As we all feel with early deaths. Such tragedy about it. So much wasted opportunity. At least that's how it seemed to them. In their grief for the one they had loved so dearly. They seem to have forgotten his promise, his promise to rise again. Or maybe they had believed that uh, he would rise, but, but faced with the reality of his death, they'd lost their bearings. Or perhaps they'd never really understood it, that promise in the first place. Well, whether they'd ever understood or or believed it or not, in this moment, it seemed to them like all their hopes and for them and for their nation have been crushed. We imagine that as they woke on that first Easter Saturday, perhaps they, they hoped for a fleeting moment that it had all simply been a very bad dream. But no, it wasn't a bad dream. In the cold light of day, they remembered that their Lord really was dead. They remembered the awful sights of of following him as he was forced to carry his own cross. As those nails were driven into him. As they watched that slow and agonizing death. Some of them had even been involved in burying him. So they knew he really was dead. Now, God the Father could have raised God the Son, the Lord Jesus, immediately. But he didn't. Instead, we have this this day in between. Why? Well, in God's wise plans, this day has given us a chance to reflect. We know that, that through Christ, a glorious future awaits us. But on this day, we're not there yet. Just as Jesus' followers waited in the long hours of that first Easter Saturday to see what God would do. So that's often how it feels to us. That's often how life feels. Tomorrow evening here in the church building at 7.30, uh, there will be an Easter evening prayer service. And that's a good opportunity for us to say how thankful we are for that team who lead the evening prayer meetings and give us a space, a regular monthly space for stillness and reflection. 
And tomorrow evening, that chance will be to reflect more in this space between the sadness of Good Friday and the joy of Easter Sunday. And I guess to set up that time of waiting and reflection for us, I'd like to ask us, what kind of waiting is hard for you? Perhaps you have some big prayers that that haven't been answered yet. Maybe there are things you've yearned for over many years, like for a particular relationship to grow or for a relationship to be healed. But you're still waiting. Perhaps like me, you grieved for a lost loved one. How many times have we found ourselves longing that they would return, that we would just see them one more time, but, but knowing that can't happen in this life. The disciples knew that Jesus had promised to rise again, but in the despair of Holy Saturday, they found it impossible to cling to that promise. And that's often what it feels like for us as we wait, as we wait for those prayers to be answered, as we, as we wait and wonder if those hopes will ever be fulfilled. Above all, as we wait for the Lord Jesus to return and for all things to finally be made new. So what can we do as we wait? Well, we can lean into our relationship with God. When hope feels far away, don't push God away. Draw near to him. One way we can do that is to give voice to our groaning and our griefs. We can, we can tell God about them. Of course, he already knows us perfectly. He knows them, but it's, it's deeply precious that we can go to God about anything. The Psalms are a wonderfully rich resource for that. The other thing we can do in our Holy Saturday kind of moments, our moments of waiting, is to look back and to look forward. In our Holy Saturday moments, we can look back on Good Friday and remember Jesus' absolute, never-ending love in willingly dying for us. And in our Holy Saturday moments of waiting, we can look forward with hope, with anticipation to that glorious eternal future he promises to his children. That eternal hope brought about by Easter Sunday. So that's what we can do in our Holy Saturday moments. Lean on God. Look back on the assurance of Good Friday. Look forward to the eternal hope of Easter Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.